0: Uh, My name is James. I'm the pastor here. Uh, I constantly tell people I have the best job in the world. Uh, As an Englishman, this is a big week for me um, because it marked the 12-year anniversary of me coming to Canada. I'm going to be reading from Philippians 2 today because it's been at least a month since I've read from Philippians 2. So we're about due, I think. Um, That's on page 1230 in at least my pew Bible near the back that's helpful to you if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love if any fellowship with the spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and purpose do nothing out of selfish ambition ambition or vain conceit Uh, Let's pray. Well, we pray that (laughs) the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts today draw us closer into who you are and who you want us to be. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, We are on week three of our one-two-threes of theology, and if this is your first week here, don't worry. I like giving people a recap. And a week is a long time, so it's okay. We can help you remember. Uh, the last few weeks, we have been discussing this Who is Wellspring document, uh, which we hope is foundational in our identity as a church. And at the end of each sermon, the kind of folks were getting together and giving us some feedback and saying what was helpful and saying what wasn't. And uh, it's been really great. We've actually implemented some of that feedback already back into this document because this isn't something that we just want to be uh, James's voices or even the leaders of the church. We want this to be representative of everyone that gathers here on a Sunday morning. So let me read this again. I realize some of y'all have heard this a few times now. Uh, But that's okay, because we want this to be a foundational document. And for those of you hearing it for the first time, make sure you let me know what you think about it, because I am intrigued. This came out of this idea of us kind of rediscovering our identity as a church. And so we've put this thing together. So who is Wellspring? Who is Wellspring is a difficult question to answer. Uh, With a 126-year history, we can tell you that we're not the same church that we were when we started, and we're not even the same church we were a year ago. It's difficult to put into words our identity in one page, so we know that every person in the church will have a slightly different response. This is okay, but we hope that our answers to these couple of questions give a comprehensive, although short, answer. So the first question is, who is Jesus according to Wellspring? Wellspring is first and foremost a church that is dedicated to knowing, loving, and serving Jesus Christ. But this doesn't really differentiate us very much from a lot of churches out there, so let us explain that a little bit more. We hold to the same view about who Jesus Christ is as the church has done for 2,000 years. We believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. And these are words taken from the Apostles' Creed, which is a document that the church has held to for millennia. We believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection restored the fractured relationship between God and humankind, and that both parties delight in this restoration. If we have a criticism of the Creed, and many do, it's that it needs to speak more to the life of Jesus. We believe that Jesus lived in perfect relationship with God and served as a perfect example to us. Jesus was one who loved those that society felt it difficult to love. Jesus was a voice for those who had been silenced. Jesus was one who welcomed and created space for those that often religious leaders of the day would not have welcomed or created space for. We believe that Jesus did all of these things willingly and delightfully. Jesus' example of sharing meals together, even when people whose life experiences are different to his own, has grounded us being a community that does life together even when things get messy. Jesus' example of self-giving love all the way through his life with special attention paid to those who so often found themselves excluded is the cornerstone on which we wish to build our church. So the next question, second of two, who are we? It is with those pieces in mind that Wellspring has put a particular emphasis on a radical welcome to everyone. We recognize that this is an area that many churches, ourselves included, have failed. We believe that this exclusion grieves the heart of God and is a posture that we as a church are repentant of. For a long time, our vision shared that we receive all whom Christ receives. And this is a beautiful statement, but we think it needs some clarification. To us at Wellspring, we want you to know that you are welcome to come as you are. Your age, ability, wealth, sexuality, gender identity, and race are all part of your story, and therefore something we honor. We believe that every single one of you is created in the image and likeness of God, and that is something to be celebrated Each one of your voices gives us a better understanding of God and God's love for us. We know that our church is richer and more reflective of the Trinitarian love of God because of our diversity, not in spite of it. We celebrate the inclusion and participation of everyone who walks through our doors. If you are someone who has been carrying some hurt from previous church experiences, please know that you're not alone. Being part of the healing process for people who have been wounded is one of the great privileges that we carry. We understand that trusting churches can be hard, but we promise to be a place of generosity and loving curiosity as we get to know one another more. We're glad that you're here. So a couple of subtle changes. Maybe people noticed, maybe they didn't, that's okay. Uh, Some of you may be thinking, everything I've just read out is really obvious. Uh, Some of you may be thinking, That's kind of out there, James. I'm not sure if I'm on board yet. And that's okay, because one of the best things about Wellspring is that it's not an echo chamber. Uh, And I will say, my job would be a lot easier if it was an echo chamber. (laughs) If everyone just agreed with me and did what I say, weeks would be really easy, but boring. So I don't want that. That's not the kind of church that I want. And that's not the kind of church that we see around Jesus, that we see in the Bible, that we see when God is present. And so we've been looking through this lens of the one, two, threes of theology, which sounds quite simple, but is very deep and rich. And that first week we talked about the number one, the most important thing, and that is the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus is our king. And him being our king, uh, I think, is reflected in that document that we read. Uh, it's also reflected in Philippians that I just read as well. Uh, He makes himself a servant, and he has the name that is above all names. That is really, really central. That's something we can't disagree on. (laughs) Um, Because then we just stop being a Christian church. And there's lots of wonderful organizations out there that aren't Christian churches. They're just not Christian churches. And last week I talked about the third most important thing. I jumped to three, if you remember. And that's where I talked about peripheral issues, And peripheral issues are literally anything that Christians disagree on, which, by the way, is a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, There are 40,000 denominations out there. That's at least 40,000 disagreements. I said this last week, and I'll say it again. That's not to say that these peripheral issues aren't important. They are. They're really important. They matter a whole lot. They have been a matter of life and death in the past like it was in with baptism 500 years ago, and they can be a matter of life and death, like they are with issues of inclusion today. But they cannot ever be as important as the kingship of Jesus. And I would also argue today that they're not as important as the second, the two in our one, two, threes theology, and that is the unity of the church. So today I'm gonna be talking about unity. And we can all look at the wonderful painting whenever I go for water. This may come as something a surprise to you, uh, but the world is a little bit divided right now. I know, I'm <laughs> I know I'm just out here dropping truth bombs. That's why you come to church. But I think at its most brilliant and beautiful, the church can be an exception to that rule. Rather than <laughs> like, exemplifying. I'm painfully aware of the painful ways in which the church has itself also caused division. But I think that's what can happen when we put those peripheral issues ahead of the kingship of Jesus and ahead of unity. But I think that the church can be an example of something different and something better. So at Wellspring as I'm going to be talking about. Also, I thought I could get this into one sermon. I'm just going to be preaching about this again next week because I couldn't do it all in one week. So if you're feeling that I haven't covered everything, that is okay. I don't think I've covered everything either. But at Wellspring, we talk about the importance of unity, which, as Jeff mentioned, is not the same as uniformity. That's not the same as everyone agreeing all the time. And there are plenty of churches where, most people agree a lot, or they certainly say they agree a lot, uh, but I think our church is richer and more reflective of the community that God desires because of our diversity. The thing is, this shouldn't really come as a surprise to uh, people that may have read the Bible or are aware of church history. Uh, Unity through difference has, from the very, very beginning of Christianity, been a sign of how the church should look. Like, even with Jesus' disciples. I know we missed this, but included in Jesus' disciples are a zealot and a tax collector, and I'm not going to go into the history. They really hated each other. Zealots killed tax collectors all the time, and tax collectors kind of deserved it. So, uh, But like that's his disciples. From the very beginning, Jesus is saying, look, we're not all going to agree. We're not always going to get along, but like this unity is a defining feature of who we are. When you follow me, you put those differences aside. A couple of books that come a slightly later in the Bible speak to this a lot. I mean, this stuff is everywhere, guys. I read from Second Corinthians in Galatians 3. Second Corinthians says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Uh, Galatians 3, which we looked at briefly last week, one of my favorite verses as well says this, as many of you who were, as were baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's not to say that there weren't people in that congregation who were Jewish. Of course there were. Or Greek. Of course there were. Who were different genders. Who were slave or not slaves. The difference is that in Jesus those things come second. Diversity isn't something to be avoided. It's how God expects the church to look. But here's the thing. Diversity will mean disagreement. Just will. It's unavoidable. And so the question really then becomes, what does it look like for us as individuals as family members, as friends, as a community, what does it look like to disagree well? And like, so the next two weeks are just answering this question or trying to, and I'm gonna say this about 8 billion times, it's really hard, like I'm not being flippant here, I'm not rushing over this, this is really hard, this is one of the hardest things that I'm gonna ask of you to try to disagree well. And for some people who I know who've been uh, fighting for so long, uh, even just to be recognized as a person that gets to be here, uh, it's really difficult to feel anything other than a fight or flight when you walk into a church, when you enter different conversations. Like, being generous with people who we disagree with is hard, and for some people it's really hard. Like, that's all we need God for, and, and that's Okay. Spending time in the trenches with people that we disagree with is difficult. I'm going to keep saying it's really difficult, and I'm going to need another week to talk about it. But let's start (laughs) and finish uh, with who Jesus is, with the example that Jesus gives us. Because I think we have to start here before we can get to the other pieces. I recognise that the things I'm asking of people with less privilege certainly than myself and other people in the room, like this isn't fair, and I don't know what to do with that. Like I I don't like preaching in this way, um, because it's asking more of people than I have to give of myself, and I don't think that's fair. I just I can't make it work any other way, because <laughs> because I think we have to look at it through Jesus. I know I know saying. Jesus is really a Sunday school answer. I know y'all are kind of used to that. I, was, I took an intensive course at a college this week on Esther. Um, and the book of Esther ends with the like murder of 75,000 people uh, by the Jews in self-defense, uh, which is difficult. And we don't really know what to do with that. And, and my Sunday school answer, I'm like, yeah, but this is before Jesus. Like, Jesus changes things, right? Like, I can struggle with these things, but I can know that Jesus changes things, that Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his example, his relationships, his friendships, that changes things, like, infinitely forever. Like, Jesus has shown us, and and I think Philippians 2 shows really succinctly, but really clearly harshly, <laughs> and asks a lot of us. Let me read this part again. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of say selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better I could preach a series on that passage, and I probably will when I want to treat myself. But I keep coming back to these verses again and again and again and again and again. And the piece that I can't shake right now is where he tells us to, yeah, that piece, let the same mind that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not a- regard equality with God, something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. So a little cultural knowledge is kind of helpful as to like why this is. I mean, it's so mind-blowing in a thousand ways, but one of the ways is uh, understanding the people to whom this letter, the Philippians, were writing to. Oh, everything Okay. the best part. Um, <laughs> so Philippi is a city that is in ancient Greece. I think it's still there. Um, and that's where this letter was written to, the Philippians were being written to. Uh, in, in ancient Greece, everyone had an expectation as to how those different gods in the pantheon behaved. They knew what Zeus was like and Hermes was like and uh, the other ones. Yeah, there you go, Poseidon, yeah, very good. Yeah, a bunch of like, and, and basically these, these gods were kind of jerks. That was a thing. Uh, they were really whimsical, and they did a lot of cruel things. Um, but they also took the form of humans a lot. This is what they would do. It wasn't uncommon for gods to become incarnate. They kind of liked to do that. What is so different is the way that those gods behaved compared to how Jesus then behaves. So everyone has this knowledge of, like, well, okay, we're Christian now, so we don't think those gods are real, but we do know what our friends and families believe and and how they behave. So Zeus, who's the main one, Lightning Bolt may have heard of him, uh, he became human a bunch of times, actually, uh, but he didn't become human for the same reason Jesus did. He did it for the opposite reason. Uh, In Greek mythology, uh, one time he becomes a man, and is having dinner with someone, and he gets angry with the guy giving him dinner, so he turns him into a wolf and then destroys his house. Great. Uh, Another time, he disguises himself as a woman's husband and impregnates the man's wife. Uh, That's where Hercules comes from, by the way. Um, Like The point is that Zeus knew his power and his privilege and didn't give up any of it. When he took the form of a man, he was still very much acting like a god. But the author of this letter says that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be exploited. He's comparing him to all the other gods they knew that did consider their equality with God something to be exploited. Jesus, instead of holding on to that power and that privilege, he empties himself. He makes himself nothing. He takes the form of a servant, of a slave. He has a pretty rough life. He dies an awful death. God's becoming incarnate isn't new to first century Greeks, but God's becoming slaves absolutely was. that's the mind what we're supposed to have and it's hard and one of the one of the things that's kind of blown my mind a lot right now is i it, it's easy to wail on america but we've got our own problems here too but when when christians are out kind of like demanding their rights like it's my right to have a gun and it's my right to have all these things but w- we follow the ones who the one who doesn't demand the rights and if anyone is entitled to rights if anyone is entitled to deity if anyone is entitled to power and privilege and all those things it is jesus the one who is (laughs) the name above all names (laughs) the name at which every knee and will bow and every tongue will confess if anyone's entitled to it it's him and he gives it away And I think this is, is also a kind of an example and a warning for those of us that have a lot of power and a lot of privilege. Jesus has the most power and the most privilege, and he gives the most away. He goes from the most to the least. And that sets an example, and it means for those of us that here that kind of have more to give up, yeah, that's the expectation. And for those of you that are just about clinging on, like, that's okay. The demands on you aren't as as severe but we're not used to this right we're not used to this we're not used to kings looking like this like i I don't i don't want to Like i can't deal with this though right king charles is crowned with a crown that costs eight billion dollars (laughs) every every person in the world could have a dollar which is a lot of money but there's just a lot of people in the world Like what? And this is our example of kings in the world, and how contrary it is to our example of the King of the Universe. Like we're not willing to give up, and unity is going to be hard unless we're willing to sacrifice. And being together is going to be difficult unless we're willing to give something up. The, The call is to love one another. It's always to love one another. Like, we we don't get to ever not do those things. It's a non-negotiable. But but my hope and my prayer for Wellspring more and more is that we get to be a beacon that that draws those people that haven't fit in elsewhere. And it means there's going to be people with different ideas. It means there's going to be people that you disagree with and you struggle with and you might not want to be around. But again, that's what church is. That's the early example. That's what the disciples were. That's what Philippi was. That's what Corinth was. That's what Galatia was. A bunch of people that probably disagreed on a bunch of stuff, but they said Jesus and him being king is more important, and us being together is more important. It means putting others before ourselves, and I know how hard that can be, and I know I'm not very good at it myself. So we get to dig into this deeper next week. But, but throughout this week, I just, I want us praying, like, what is it I'm willing to put aside? What is it I am willing to give up for the sake of the kingship and lordship of Jesus and for the sake of the unity of this church? What is it going to take for our church to be an exception of unity in this world of division? I do want to finish and say like I think we're doing really well like I'm really proud um to to be here and and to be in this role and to see uh, the generosity that the people have for one another Uh, to see that unity uh, in spite of like different backgrounds and different understandings and different reckonings of who God is but I, I think we're so much better for it um it means that there is is space for you here, um. yeah. Um, and again, what's hey? What's great? Well, let's let's shift to communion because uh, communion again is this really early expression and early example of the church being one, uh, that despite our differences, that we could come together and we eat together and we feast together, and um, yo this. The Bible actually just flipped to the page I wanted to get to. I'm so satisfied right now. 1 <laughs> Corinthians says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was b- betrayed, took bread, and when He was given, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes and that's what we get to do the act of eating together is a powerful and prophetic and antithetical move right now and it, and it speaks to a unity in a world of division and Again, where else else are you going to be having a meal with people as different as this? It's not going to happen. We get to be different. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence. And Lord, we pray it is always, always your example that we follow. Lord, we pray that we be able to put the differences aside and remember that you are king. And that you have called us to be one. Wherever we need to let go or give up, we pray that you show us the way. We thank you for all the ways that you are moving in the midst of us here and now. We ask all these things in your name, Lord. Amen.